let's open our Bibles, John chapter 4. I just also got word that, uh, how many of you are sick or been sick recently? Yeah, like what is up with that? I just got word that Anthony is uh, not feeling well. We, we talked to him last night and he, he looked horrible, but I guess he's at the hospital getting IV fluids now. And, and so uh, we'll take a minute to pray. But let's turn to John chapter 4 and get ourselves set up here first. John chapter 4. Father, thank you for your word and we thank you that uh, you have a living water for us. And that, that really is what, what we need the living water that only you can give, the world can't give it, as we already heard, as your word declares as well. We do pray for uh, just your strength, Lord, to fight these, uh, all these sicknesses that, that have, uh, are part of this life, part of this world. We pray for Anthony, that you would uh, raise him up, Lord. I know that doesn't sound good, and, and, uh, but for, for us, Lord, we, we depend on you and your strength, Lord. So help us today, Lord. We we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, John chapter 4, we, we talked last week, and boy, I got really a lot of water last week. Man, I just feel like having trouble with all that water. But, but the necessity of living water. You know, there's physical water, there's natural water, but then there's spiritual, there's living water, and there's a huge difference. But what we really need, we need water regular water, but we, to fill the deepest part of who we are, we need that living water. And Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. He had this divine appointment with her, and, you know, he challenged her. He really did, and, and uh, he challenged her with, with something or to something that was deeper than the well that she came to. She came to get water at the well. There was a place that they went to to get water, and they didn't have running water in their houses like you and I do. So he challenged her that there's something deeper, that, that really the earthly things, they can't quench the thirst that's deep inside of us. And I think we need to think about that. We need to, to, to talk about that. And, and uh, Orlando was talking about Revelation, and you know, the end of the book and the end of the story and how it all kind of uh, you know, happens, and I quoted to you last time from Revelation 22, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who is, and let him who hears say, come, whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of, of the water of life. So it, it's, it's, you know, this thirst, he, you know, from beginning to end, that he's there for you and I, he says, come, if you're thirsty, come to me, he says. And I'll give you that free gift. It's free. It's not something we have to do. It's, it's, that's where we get so mixed up. You know, we talked about being religious. We think well, we got to be religious. we got to do this and this and this. No, he says it's a free gift of the water of life. And you and I can have it. So that's kind of where we, where we pick up today. Where we're looking again at the, the woman at the well. So Jesus has had this conversation with her about water and the different kinds of water. He says in, in verse 14, uh, he says this, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So he talks, he's talking about a, a different water, water that he would give, this living water. This water that would be inside that would spring up to eternal life. And so 
The woman says here in verse 15, the woman said to him, having heard these words, she says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So she's respectful, right? She says, Sir, she's respectful. And some think that maybe she wasn't quite so respectful in the beginning of the conversation, but she is now. But she says, give me this water. Now, do you think, going by what she said, she really understood what he was talking about? Not really. She was respectable. She wanted it, but did she want it for the right reasons? Did she really understand what she was asking for? I don't think so. What she wanted was, you know, hey, that sounds kind of cool if I'm, if I'm not going to get thirsty. That's kind of cool. That's kind of cool if I don't have to keep coming back to the well and getting water and, you know, I'm just going to, have, you know, I can just carry on. So she was kind of still on that sort of the natural plane. Uh, David Guzik, the pastor uh, who wrote uh, great commentaries, he says this, it was a logical answer, but not a spiritual answer. And she said this, make my life easier and more convenient. <laughs> I don't know, but sometimes isn't that what our prayers are like? Make my life easier and more convenient. That's what it's all about. That's what Jesus is, you know, Jesus is supposed to do for me. Is that really? Well, you know, there are certain times when he might make my life a little bit easier. He might make it a little more convenient. But the truth is, he, he, he came to fulfill the very deepest need we have. He came to forgive us of all of our sin, to, to wash us and give us eternal life, this well of water springing up or welling up to eternal life. That's what he came to do. It's, it really doesn't you know, always translate, and I talk about this a lot, it doesn't always translate to making our lives like simple. In fact, sometimes it makes it worse. You know Why? Because now we're in a spiritual battle. Before we become believers, we, you know, the enemy really doesn't care about us. And I don't know what you believe about it. I'm doing a study in, in Ephesians about the spiritual battle that we face. And someday I think I'll, I'll share with, with you what, I, what I'm learning. But I don't think we really understand the, the magnitude of the battle that's raging around us. But as a non-believer, it's like, hey, we're just going along with the whole system. It doesn't matter. But when we become believers, we're now entering into a, a whole new kind of battlefield. And so it may not get more convenient. It may not get easier for you. But it's the only way. It's the only answer for you and I as human beings. The dialogue continues. Let's, let's read more in verse 16. So he told her, after that answer, he said, he told her, go call your husband and come back. She said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Wow. Listen, Jesus, I was just, I just wanted the water, okay? I didn't really want to go there with all that stuff. That's a little too personal. That's a little too deep. That's a little too, you know, in my face kind of thing. But Jesus, you know, Jesus, again, 
being the Son of God, being God the Son who knows all things, as, we're, as we'll see and as he proves right here, he wanted to help her. He really did. It's a divine appointment. He wanted to be there. He wanted to, to help her along this path. But, he, but he's, he will always be truthful. And she kind of points that out there. So it's kind of like, I'll be glad to give it to you, but... But first, maybe there's some things we need to talk about here. Maybe there's some things we need to get straight. Maybe there's something in the way here. Maybe there's some issues. Maybe, maybe you need to understand you know, more about what this water is too. Jesus kind of gets to the point, and specifically, he's speaking to this woman... He's speaking specifically about her situation. He has a very, you know, detailed information. He doesn't go into all the details, but, but enough for her to go, oh. And it's enough for us to see that, that there's something going on that's deeper than the surface, right, in this woman's life. There's obviously, there's something going on, there's a need there, right? Does she have... Uh, relationship problem, relationship issues? Oh, probably, you'd think. Does she have commitment issues? Maybe. Is there some kind of sin problem going on here? That's possible too. A lot of stuff that could be going on here, but Jesus has to get right to it there. How many of you remember the song? This is going to tell you how, tell us how old you are. <laughs> Looking for love in all the wrong places. How many of you remember that? Isn't that what's going on? Isn't that what's happening in her life? Isn't that what you and I do? You know, the, the words, I had to go back and look at that, the words of that, but the words... Uh, the, Part of the chorus say, I was looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces. Looking for love in too many faces, too many different relationships, too many men, too many whatever it is for her. But for you and I, we look for love in a lot of places too that are not necessarily right. We're looking for something that they can't give us. And she was doing that. But Jesus has a way, you know, he has a way of getting right to the heart of the matter, doesn't he? He has a way of getting right to her heart. And you and I, he does that too. He's going to say whatever he needs to say to get to, to my heart, to your heart, because he wants to get to the heart. It's not all this superficial stuff. One man said this, Jesus wanted to get beyond mere conversation to touch her deepest need, and lead her to face her need for redemption. He wanted to get past all the surface and get to where, you know, the things that were really kind of going on in her heart so that he might be able to bring her to that place of redemption, of, of eternal life, of real hope and real help. Now, you could, you could read this and say, well, is he, you know, is he just trying to condemn her? I don't think so. I don't think he's trying to condemn her. We, we saw earlier in chapter 3, in verse 17, it says this, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but what? But to save the world through him. He didn't come to condemn, and he's not trying to condemn this woman, but, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't speak the truth to her. 
That doesn't mean that he can't talk about what's real and what's going on in her life. Otherwise, otherwise he's not going to be able to get to the heart of her situation, my situation, your situation. And her real need was forgiveness. Her real need was help and hope, satisfaction within. You know, is it any different today? Is it any different for you and me today? Oh, maybe you haven't been married five times. Maybe for you it's been six. You know, but you and I still, we, we, we've got these, you know, wrecked things that have happened. This, you know, history of these things that have happened. We're trying to find this love that only Jesus can give to us. How many of you know Greg Laurie, who Greg Laurie is? Greg Laurie, he's a pastor in California, and he's a part of the Calvary Chapel, but he's also an evangelist, and he does crusades, and, and uh, you know, people are very familiar with, with his speaking at crusades and, and that kind of thing, but, but not everybody knows that he had a really, really hard life growing up. And part of the reason was because of his mother. Let me, let me read to you. It's a little long, but it's very interesting. Let me read to you what Gray Laurie writes about his mother. And he wrote this like 11 years ago. He said, Charlene McDaniel was a beautiful young woman. Some even compared her to Marilyn Monroe, which, is, which was pretty heady stuff for someone from Friendship, Arkansas. Although she had been raised in a Bible-teaching Baptist church, she bristled at the idea of following God's Word and not being free to do what she wanted to. During her first marriage, it would be one of seven, seven marriages. Charlene gave birth to a son, but feeling her husband was not the man she was looking for, she divorced him, and she married again. And after the anguish of giving birth to a stillborn child, she returned to the party scene looking for something more exciting than married life. She had a fling, then found out she was pregnant. Not wanting to have her child out of wedlock, she married again and had her second son. And Charlene's extended family named this son Pogo. Because according to his aunt, he was always so cute and mischievous, like the little opossum character in the cartoon strip. Her first son lived with the grandmother, his grandmother, but Pogo lived with his mom off and on as she made her way from one dead-end relationship to another, marrying and divorcing again and again. And while Pogo was with his mother, all he saw was partying and violence. And one night he watched as her then-husband nearly killed her. These were frightening times for a young boy. Some nights he didn't know where his mother was. Some nights she'd return home at 4 o'clock in the morning, pass out drunk, and pass out drunk. Pogo felt his mother had no one to care for her but him, so he did his best. He was a 10-year-old boy playing the parent to his self-destructive mother. I know that for certain because I was the mischievous Pogo. And Charlene was my mother. This is Greg Laurie's story. He said, as the years passed by, my mother's once legendary beauty began to fade. All the drinking and smoking and hard living began to take its toll. And one night, while driving under the influence, she had an accident that horribly disfigured her face. Her beauty, the one thing she had counted on throughout her life, was now greatly diminished. 
I saw my mom began to soften, and she would wait for a prayer before a meal, and she always seemed proud of me and glad to tell everyone I was her son. And although I didn't know it at the time, she saved every newspaper clicking, uh, clipping about our ministry. After she discovered she had kidney failure, would need dialysis three times a week, she began returning to her spiritual roots. And one month before her death, I had a very direct conversation with her. I asked her if she believed in Jesus Christ as her, as her Savior and Lord. And she said she did. I then told her that she ought to be coming to church. And the next Sunday she came. Her search brought her back to what she knew as a young girl. Like the prodigal son, she returned. Sadly, she spent almost all her life looking to men and to romance for for fulfillment. And all along, that fulfillment could have been found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Wow, what a story, huh? Did Did you know that about him? Of course, God is using that in incredible ways in Greg's life and that, but, but we see this story of the woman at the well is no different than the story of Greg Laurie and his, his mom and, and the situations all around us today. You and I looking for love in all the wrong places. Read again there in verse 17. She said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had five husbands, and now the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. He points out some things here in this, in this version. We see the word right. We see the word facts. We see the word true and truth or true. You know, to, to get what is really important, to get to what is really important, we, we have to get to the truth, and he has to get to the truth within us. The thing about it is that that he knew it all, right? He knew it all about her. And he knows it all about you and I. We can't hide it from him. She couldn't hide it from him. She'd been divorced five times. And it didn't solve her problems, did it? Pastor Chuck said, he's looking right inside of me. And he knows what is inside of me. He knows the truth about me. I'm not fooling him at all. He knows what's inside of you. He knows what's inside of me. If we think we're, we're, you know, we're, we're putting on a good show and we're, we're faking everybody out, it's useless with him because he knows. Jesus knew and he knows from beginning to end. He could see the searching, the striving. He said, you've had five husbands and now you're, you know, you're living with a, a man now and he's not your husband. It kind of seemed like, well, he, he, he's saying, you know, now, now you've given up on marriage? You know, if you want to talk about marriage, you know, he, he, he kind of points it up. He brought it up because it was an issue. It was an issue then. It's an issue now. It's an issue today. She'd given up on marriage, perhaps, but, but you know what? It's still God's plan. I have to say, marriage is still God's plan. You go all the way back to the, the book of Genesis in chapter 2 when, you know, G, you know, the Word of God establishes the institution, if you want to use that word, 
of marriage. Some of you think it's an institution. You've got to be <laughs> locked up or whatever. But that's just mean it's a, it's a, a thing, right? But God established it. God put it together. God made it. He, he designed it. And it's at the very beginning. It's the very first thing that he puts together. And it says this in verse 24, chapter 2. For this, re- for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And they will become one or one flesh. It's husband and wife. He, he set it up that way from the beginning, right? It hasn't changed. We're changing it. We heard talking about the world and the world system, and they're wanting to redefine everything. We have to stick to the truth. And you know what? If we want God's blessings, we need to do it God's way. So many times I I find, you know, we we want God to bless something in my life. We want, you know, God to do something in my life, but we're not willing to do it His way. We want to do it my way and then get Him to bless me. When He says, you do it my way. And I will bless you. It's a big difference. He's speaking to this woman now. The truth is, the husband, whether she was married to the guy or not, you know, uh, it wasn't going to meet the deepest need that she had anyways. What, what it, that's the point that he's making here. Though he does, as David Guzik point out, that Jesus showed us that living together in marriage are not the same thing. They are not the same thing. Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. I can see that you are a prophet. She was, she was kind of blown away. Now, you know, again, she, she still didn't quite get the whole thing, but, but Jesus goes on to talk to her. We're going to jump ahead and, and come back to that next week where he's talking about worship and, and that it's a, a matter of the heart and God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. But something was radically changed in her. She saw that, that this guy, that there's something about this guy. Jump ahead to verse 28. And again, we'll get back to that section next week. It says, then leaving her water jar, and that's a picture too, isn't it? She left the water, the water jar, and the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ or the Messiah? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. She went out and she said, you know, You've got to come and see this guy. Her, her whole life was, was like put out before her. And, and, and he's pointing out to her, you know what, your whole life, all these relationships, all these marriages, all these things, that's not going to make it. That's not going to help you. That's not going to satisfy you. It's kind of an interesting picture, though, when you think about her going back to the town, because I think it wasn't a huge town. I think that that probably, you know, she must have been known in the town. I don't know what kind of reputation she had. I don't know what, you know, caused all these, you know, serial marriages to take place, you know, one after another, after another, after another. But they must have known about her. Which, you know, which marriage is she on now? 
But now she's going back to the town and she's telling them, these people, about a man who wasn't from there, who knew all this stuff. You're not going to believe this. He knew all this stuff about me. I know you know all this stuff about me because I live here with you. But this guy, he knew all about it and, he, and he's not even from here. It just, you know, could he know about you? Could he know about me? Could he know the very deepest part of me? I think he does. I, I absolutely think he does. And, and I think that's what we see here. And, and we see it in other places too. That he knows all about us. He knows all about our lives. And yet he still loves us. He knew about this lady. The other, you know, the, the religious Jews wouldn't have anything to do with her. Ever. They would never have anything to do with her. Number one, she's Samaritan. Number two, she's a woman. Number three, she, she has a, a reputation, a history that they weren't going to... And here he's got this appointment to go and meet with her, and he loved her. He loved her into the kingdom. That's radical. He knows all about you and me enough, enough to love us, to share with us the truth. And yet you've heard it said, too, he loves us too much to leave us that way. He didn't, he didn't, you know, I think he worked in this woman's life. And you think about the other story about the woman caught in adultery. You know, he didn't condemn her either. But what did he say? He said, go. You know, I forgive you. He says, but go and sin no more. You know, I'm going to change your life. I'm going I'm to make your life right. And I'm going to do what needs to be done. But, but let's read this scripture out of the book of Hebrews. It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the, before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. See, he knows it all, and we're going to have to stand before him before it all. So, so you and I, what do we need to do? We need to get right with him. We need to get right with him. He looks on the heart. It says in, you know, about when, when David was being chosen... You know, they said, you know, uh, they brought all David's brothers up. You know, well, this one's really handsome. He's tall. He's good. But in the end, it says that, says that God doesn't look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And that's, and that's what, what the thing is. And he looks on it and he sees everything that's there. Everything is uncovered. He searches every heart, it says in First Chronicles. He understands every motive. Psalm 44 says he knows the secrets of the heart. You and I, you know, we can't keep anything from him. Can't keep a thing from him. He knows. He knows my situation. He knows what I'm involved in. He knows what I think, what I do. He knows that about each and every one of you as well. Can't hide from him. Not going to happen. So what do we need to do? We need to go to him. This word repentance, you know, it's gotten such a bad rap, this word repentance. It's like, oh, repent is a bad word. Repent is a good word because it's turning from one direction to another. And the, the direction that it's turning from is sin and ourselves. But the direction that it's turning to is to God and his love and his mercy and his forgiveness and, and his healing. That is a good thing. There's nothing bad about that. I want to close. I want you to turn back to the Gospel of Mark, please. 
and, and talk about one more guy before we close. And we're going to have communion here in just a couple minutes. I know you're still thinking, how long? How long? Not long. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. The rich young ruler. If I could just find it, I'd be all set. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Of course, we know he is God. That's why he could say that. But he said, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud Honor your father and mother. And teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. What a powerful, powerful statement. But look what he says. He says, one thing. One thing you lack. There's one problem. Yeah, you've been doing great. You've been, you know, keeping those things since you were a boy. That's great and everything, but there's, there's a problem. There's something in the way. Just like you was getting to the issue with the woman at the well, you said, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. You know, people would read this and say, well, does that mean that everybody just needs to go and give everything they have away? No, this is what this particular man had a problem with. He had a lot of possessions. He had a lot of wealth, but they had him. And so Jesus got to the point with this particular man, this specific man, he says, one thing you lack. And it's going to be different for each one of us. Each one of us is different and unique, a unique creation. So what is he going to say to you and to me? What is he, what is he going to put his finger on in your life, in my life, and say, this is an area that, that we need to work on. We need to, to point out. We need to get to. This is something that you're looking to, to satisfy. The man's face fell. We don't know what happened. He went away sad. We don't know if, if he ever came back. We don't know. With the woman at the well, we know that she came back, and we know that her life was changed. It's, it's evident from the story, as we'll see as we carry on with that account. But you and I, you know, we can try it all. We can try it all. I've tried a lot of things in my life. And, and as I talked last week, even as believers, we still tend and we, at times we try to go back to the things of the world to try to satisfy, to try to, to fill that empty spot within us when it's only that, that water, that living water, that well that Jesus had. That's the only thing that's going to do it. 
In fact, those things that we go to, they only get us into trouble. They only get us into trouble. So we're going to have communion. And we're going to have them pass it out in just a minute. Pass the bread and the cup. And really, what, is it, what does it signify? It signifies Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And the fact that he wants to give us his life. And the living water is found in him. And as you and I partake of that, we are acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the Lord. That he, is, that he came and that he died for me. That he, that he paid the price for my sin. That, that he was crucified. That he was buried. That he rose from the dead. So if you haven't, if you haven't made that decision in your life, don't partake. It's not going to do you any good. It's just a religious thing. But, it, but if you have, then it's a, a, a remembering. It's, it, it's a, a reminding. That's, that's why, you know, he says, do this when you get together in remembrance of me, so that we, we need to be reminded. Why? Because we forget. Because, you know, we get distracted. Any of you get distracted? We get distracted from the things that are really important. I do all the time. And so we have communion on a regular basis to kind of to get us to refocus. And the answer is always Jesus. It's always Jesus. Let's pray together, shall we? Jesus, we thank you that you love this woman. We thank you that you that you love that that rich young ruler. You looked at him and you loved him. And you spoke the truth to him. And, and, and you speak the truth to you, to, to each one of us. Why? Because you love us. Not because you want to condemn us, but you want to save us. You want to rescue us. You want to, to deliver us from the things of this world, the things of this earth. So Jesus, we, we cry out to you today. We, we, we ask your forgiveness for for trying to find only what you can give, trying to find it in all the wrong places. So we come to the cross. We come to you today. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Help us. Hear our cry. Hear us. You know us inside and out. You know every part of my life, every part of our lives. Yet you still love us. You want us to come to you. You want us to surrender to you. To live for you. That our whole lives, our whole hearts would be serving you, loving you. That's what you said. Love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Love our neighbors as ourselves. Or forgive us. Maybe, maybe we think that we've, we've done too much. Maybe this woman thought she'd done too much. She could never be forgiven. She never could get any hope. It's just, it's just too much. Too much water under the bridge. But you say no. There's a well. There's a spring that, that's welling up to eternal life. And it's, it's, it's deeper. 
It never ends. It's more than, than the, the wells of this world, the, the failures of this life. It covers all. Lord, I know that's why we come to you today. That's why we come to the cross. Brand new start, a brand new year, brand new day. Maybe you need to just talk to him right now in the quietness of your own heart and say, Jesus, I surrender. I surrender. I've tried and it just just doesn't work. But I come to you today. Lord, you are good. You are good. Your mercy endures forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have the communion passed out now. We're going to sing while we're passing that out.